0: Oh, what a beautiful day, huh? As for a better week to begin our missions emphasis week. Um, I just want to start just by acknowledging uh, Dr. Case mentioned, but my wife Stephanie, she, uh, she mentioned she's a part of the, she is the package, right? She is with me, and I, it is, she is the love of my life, my best friend, and I just want you to know that you may not see her a lot on campus, but she is with me Arm in arm in this as we serve together here. Um, so you. love you. Um, serving the Lord together in ministry um, is there's no joy like it. I'll tell you what: if you're looking, um, as you're seeking the Lord for your spouse, make sure that that you don't settle. Uh, that you that you marry someone who has your heart. That because as God knits your heart, He knits your visions together so that you can walk in one in ministry together, uh, there's, there's, there's no joy like it. Um, so I want to, let me just uh, take a sip of water first. So the theme for Missions Emphasis Week this year, as you can see here, is pursuit. Can everybody say that? Pursuit. Let's say it with a little more gusto. Ready? One, two, three. Pursuit. Right? And so our theme verse is Luke 19.10. Maybe it's a, a verse that you're familiar with. Uh, Jesus says the, as of himself, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus himself describes his mission as one of Pursuit, right? He and who is he pursuing? He is pursuing the lost. He is pursuing a lost world, and I feel like uh, as the Lord laid this laid this on my heart, uh, I also feel like it connects with with the verse in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen that that God put on Doctor A's heart for for the year. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So as we search for the Lord, as we are giving ourselves to seek the Lord this year. We are pursuing the Lord. As we pursue him, we will find out what, is, what God himself is after. Because as we pursue God, we will find that we are pursuing the same things and the same things that are on God's heart. So I want to consider talking about missions as the great pursuit. Specifically, and you can go to the next slide if you would, please. Um, so in, in three areas. Number one, we want to consider lost people that are in pursuit of God. Or maybe they don't realize they're in pursuit of God, but they're in pursuit of hope. They're in pursuit of meaning. They're in pursuit of something. Not only that, but God is in pursuit of lost people. He's in pursuit of lost people to reach them. And also, God is in pursuit of us, his followers, of you and I. God is relentlessly, relentlessly pursuing us to join him in his great pursuit of the lost. Amen? Are you ready? So let's, let's talk about lost people in pursuit of God. Maybe some of you have heard this quote before. St. Augustine of, of Hippo, he said this, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. How many of you have heard this quote before or seen this before? Right? Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is the heart of every single human being alive or who has ever lived or who will ever lived. They are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. In the same way, there's a. How many of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? You ever see it? Powerful movie, right? And, um, and I don't know if Lonnie Frisbee, uh, who was a, a leader of, the, of this movement, if he actually said these words, but at least it was in the movie. I th- it just touched me so much. He said, he was explaining to this pastor, he said, there's an entire generation right now searching for God, Lonnie says. I know we must seem a little strange. But if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things just in all the wrong places. That he identified right there that, 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 that we can look into the world and we can get frustrated and we can get angry, we can get worried, we can get anxious, but instead if we look with the heart of God, we see lost people in search of hope. They are in desperate pursuit of God, even though they are not aware of it. So the gospel accounts as well, are full of Jesus encountering people who are disillusioned. They're fed up with shallow and short-sighted answers of religious legalism, misguided nationalistic zeal, philosophical emptiness, and shallow spirituality. I think of that psalm, right? Psalm 42, the psalmist says, deep calls unto deep, right? That the idea that God from his depths is calling to the depths of every human soul, the depths of every human soul is longing, crying out for a relationship with their creator. So, in the same way, uh, this, this next slide, um, uh, this, this quote from Matthew Stone, who wrote, Reaching the Heart and Mind of Muslims, which doesn't just apply to Muslim people, but applies to people who are lost anywhere, right, of any religion. He says this All hearts cry out for the living God, whether The Christian heart, the Muslim heart, the Buddhist heart, the Jewish heart, or atheist heart. Whether we realize it or not, the rightful and natural object of our deepest desire is God as witness to and is seen in the person and life of Jesus. Every single human heart. So just coming back to our text, if we could go on to the next slide. Let's just look a little bit more at the context of this verse, Luke 19.10. Uh, we see the story of, uh, of Jesus entering Jericho, and it says that he's passing through. Let's just read the first four verses here. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. How many of you remember learning a song in Sunday school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little, right? <laughs> I'm not going to sing the whole thing for you, right? And he did the motions, right? And he got into it. But it sticks, right? I feel like we could do that, but we're, we'll, we'll just skip that for now. Um, so here we see... An example of the lost pursuing Jesus, right? He saw something in Jesus that he had to get a glimpse. He had to do whatever it took to get close to Jesus, to see, he wanted to see who he was. But he had limitations. For one, he was already on the outs of his community, right? It's not likely that people were gonna, oh, Zacchaeus, you're here. Why don't you come to the front? Probably not, right? They're not gonna make a way for him. And he was short, you know, he was a chief tax collector. He was known to have used his position to defraud people. He knew he knew he was doing it, and he knew that other people knew that he was doing this. He was small in stature, and he just couldn't see him, just physically. He had he had trouble seeing him. But there's something about the curiosity and tenaciousness of Zacchaeus, and we see this in his response. He responds to Jesus. Notice it says that he hurried, just I'm, I'm skipping ahead here, but he hurried ahead and comes down after Jesus sees him, and received him joyfully. So conviction, obviously, had already been stirring in his heart. Something was already, we see that something is already going on in Zacchaeus' heart that was moving him to see Jesus. He had to see who Jesus was. This, things were stirring, things were happening in his heart. And he knew he was a sinner. And again, just jumping ahead a little bit, but also notice that Jesus didn't even call, need to call that out. Zacchaeus, you're a filthy sinner. You've done all these bad things. What does he do? Jesus took, takes notice of him and just says, I want to go hang out with you today. Isn't that amazing? So we see Zacchaeus is seeking after God. And just like lost people all over the world, unreached in the world, like we sang about, right? Their hearts are longing for God, but they're having trouble finding him. So who today might be like Zacchaeus that could be written off as not worthy of an audience with Jesus. We could think, obviously, just right now, what's going on in the Middle East, right? You know, with, with the conflict, and, yeah, and we, we, we heard from Brother Ramon sharing his heart, and we need to continually be in prayer for, for this terrible evil that is happening in the Middle East and praying for Israel and praying for those who are suffering and who are persecuted but we have to be always so careful that we don't let our anger become a veil that would keep us from seeing there are three billion unreached people in the world today. I didn't say million, billion. There was six zeros, right? I'm sorry, nine zeros, right? Three billion people. So these are people or people groups among which there is no indigenous uh, community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize the rest of their members without cross-cultural assistance. 2 billion of those 3 billion people are considered frontier people groups, and that means there are less than 0.1 percent Christian and no known movements to Jesus, and in need of followers of Jesus, everybody look to your neighbor and say, you're a follower of Jesus, right? Need of you (laughs) to cross cultural divides and reach them, right? That's what it's going to take, 2 billion people and the, of these 2 billion people, half of them live in 35 of the largest, uh, 35 of these 500 frontier people groups. Um, They're they they mostly either Muslim or Hindu. So we think about, for instance, in the Bible, right, that, uh, who was known as someone who was breathing out murderous threats against, his, uh, against God's people? Who was that? The next. Saul, right? Who would become Paul. Right? He was known as breathing out murderous threats against God's people. And we think about you know, the, 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 the terrorists and the jihadis who are chanting death to Israel or millions more in the Muslim world who are being lumped into the category of terrorists because they have been used and abused as sheep and pawns in the hands of evil and wicked people who would gladly sacrifice them to advance their own extreme version of political Islam. So we have to remember that these are people who are seeking hope and in desperate need of hope. Amen? They are pursuing God. We also see, if you could just go to the next slide here, uh, another story that I love, I think in this story, in John chapter 4, you can come up with, I don't know how many different teachings or sermons I've seen in this. just chapter alone is an amazing encounter with Jesus, encountering uh, the, the Samaritan woman. But we see this woman's life being turned upside down in her whole community because Jesus intersected her simply because she was pursuing water. (laughs) It says in in John chapter 4, right, it says that a woman came from Samaria to draw water. She wasn't, it doesn't say a woman came from Samaria to meet Jesus because she had an appointment with Jesus. It said a woman came from Samaria just to draw water because she was thirsty, right, but she didn't realize that the real reason that she was coming to the well was really not to get water. It was because she had an appointment with Jesus that she didn't even realize it yet, right? And, just, and so we have Zacchaeus, who was intentionally trying to find Jesus, but was having trouble for various reasons. We also have people in the world who are, in, are yearning for Jesus, but they don't know it yet because they have yet to encounter Jesus, or they have yet to encounter one of us who could tell them the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. So in her appointment with Jesus, it came out that she, in fact, was in pursuit of God. She but felt inhibited because of the religious and cultural divides that kept her from being able to experience true worship, right? Jesus got it out of her. She, he identified that she really was longing for true worship. But Jesus, just by being in a place that no Jewish rabbi had any business being, Right? We understand the disciples were like, what are you doing here, Jesus? (laughs) You really have no business being here. Why are you talking with a woman? Why are you talking with this woman? But because he was there, because he was present, he was able to intersect her in her pursuit of what she was really longing for, the living water, and not just a drink of cold water from the well. So again, just like this woman who came to the well for water, there are masses of unreached people that God is moving into places where they may have access from places where there's no access to the gospel. They're bringing them here to places like here in our own backyard where they do have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? They may be coming for safety and security, but are we ready to see that in reality they are pursuing only what Jesus can offer? This is why they are pursuing this. And we have the answer, right? Right? that we see lost people pursuing Jesus, and we need to be in a place where we're ready to help them find what their hearts deeply long for. Just to the next slide. Um, Acts 17, 26 through 27 uh, says this, And he made from one man, the Apostle Paul says this, Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Do you catch God? God is is very intentional and strategic about where he places every single people group and how he moves them. It's for the purpose that they could seek for him and find him. So there's something very significant about global missions because it, it reflects God's heart and determination to be worshiped and adored in every place and every people. Every place matters. There's no place that's insignificant, no people that are, re, that are to be ridden off or regarded as not worth pursuing because God is in charge of arranging and rearranging people to help them find jesus amen this is if we can look at the world and everything around us and see lord what are you doing in the earth today how can i see what you're up to and not get caught up in the politics and the anxiety and the theology and and all this divisiveness and our driving question is how can we find how can we help these people find jesus amen this is what (coughs) is on the heart of god excuse me So as Dr. Case mentioned, and I also believe that this will be a very important week for many of you, I want to encourage you to allow God to, dis, to interrupt you, to disrupt your thinking and plans. It's time to take a look at this, this map behind me, right? That, that, and, and spend time here at this altar, right? Visit the mission booths, the mission fair booths, and learn about what God is doing in different parts of the world and different ministries, Interact with missionaries, some of which are here, right? Can I have the missionaries? Give a little representation. We have some missionaries here among us, right, over here. (laughs) Take advantage of this opportunity. This is an amazing opportunity. And be open to the possibility that God could bring your attention to an unreached people or a part of the world that is in desperate pursuit of the hope that only Christ can bring. So let's look at, um, just go to the next slide here. We see, so Zacchaeus represents people who are longing, who are in pursuit of God, who are in pursuit of hope. But God is in pursuit of the lost, right? God is also relentlessly pursuing us, pursuing the lost. Jesus here pursues Zacchaeus. It says in Luke chapter uh, 19, verse 5, it says that when Jesus came to that place where Zacchaeus was, it says he looked up. And Jesus was willing to stop and allow himself to be interrupted so that he could encounter the one that was pursuing him. So Jesus took time and he pursued, not only was Zacchaeus pursuing Jesus, Jesus was pursuing him. And I love what he says in verse 5, right? He says, he looked up and he says, I must stay at your house today. Like, I got to come and hang out with you, Zacchaeus. What an amazing, Jesus invited himself over for supper. How many of you have ever had anybody invite themselves over to your house for dinner? I mean, that's really, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Maybe we should take our example from Jesus and just be that. Hey, can I come over to your house for coffee, for tea, you know? And the word here, that's actually, when Jesus uses this word must, the Greek word is dei. I hope I'm not butchering that. But um Liefeld's commentary notes that, well, well it, means, it means behooved to, be, to meet. Uh, it means must, needs be, uh, needful. Uh, it, it conveys this sense of divine urgency and necessity. This is, this is a theme throughout the book of Luke. You, you see this throughout, the sense of urgency in Jesus. He uses this, same, this word to describe his activities. He must, right, in this case, he says, he must, I must go to your house. He was, there was something in him that was moving him, and saying, I have to pursue you. This is not an option for me. We also have other examples of, of God in pursuit of the lost. We see the same word being used. It says in, um, well not necessarily this word in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 but the same example the Lord calls to the man and says to him where are you? Right after Adam and Eve had totally messed up right from the beginning God could have started over right? <laughs> Said okay we're gonna start over again clean, clean slate. No it says that he went into the garden and he pursued them as they were hiding because of their sin and their shame. God went after them and pursued. the great pursuit started in the garden, right, and has continued until now. And will continue until we get to that throne, around the throne, multitudes surrounding the throne, crying, worthy is the lamb. This great pursuit begins here and it will not stop until that day. We see other examples as well. Luke four forty three. So Jesus says to them, I must, it's the same word, the same theme, right? I I must. There, there's a divine necessity that I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well. Stop trying to just keep me here so that you can continue to drink up like a sponge everything I'm saying to you. I need to preach the gospel to other people as well. They need to hear this. John 4 verse 4, not only did the Samaritan woman needs to come to the well. It says Jesus, the same word, he had to pass through. Some, I'm sorry, he had yeah, he had to pass through Samaria. It wasn't for geographic reasons that Jesus plugged in his GPS and says, "Oh bummer, I got to go through Samaria," right? He didn't, it wasn't like, "Oh, I have to go through Samaria." It was he. There was something within him that said, "I must go." There's an there's a divine appointment here, and I must go through Samaria. In John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> There's a divine urgency, a divine pursuit. There's an urgency behind God's pursuit. So we see this eagerness when Jesus is so eager to receive, to receive even hospitality from, from Zacchaeus. So oftentimes we think of hospitality as something that we give, like that we invite. How many of you think of it that way normally? If you're giving hospitality, right, you're showing hospitality. But you could also show hospitality by receiving hospitality, by being a guest. And not, there's the aspect of being a receiver. So Jesus was, able, was putting himself in a position where he would receive hospitality from Zacchaeus, you know, that's also something that really through our, throughout our time on the mission field, it's something that God has, a key avenue that God has used to cause our lives to intersect with people that are pursuing hope just through hospitality, whether they're coming over to our house or they're inviting us over to their house. Um, I actually re- uh, remember a moment uh, when we were, we, we moved into this, uh, this new city uh, which we called Pure Water, actually. And we were there, and we were actually, Stephanie and I were just, there was a Dairy Queen that had opened up in the city, and was like, oh, yes, we got to go try this out. <clears throat> so we had a little date. But we knew that, but earlier on during the day, we had, we had gone into uh, a rug seller's shop. There are a lot of uh, rug sellers in the city, and we happened to meet these. Uh, the, we had never met them before, and they had never met, christians before and so we so they it was around the time of a muslim holiday it was around ramadan and at, at sunset every every day during ramadan they break the fast they call it the iptar meal and so they had invited us to come over they didn't, they didn't even know us <laughs> but they're just like oh come on over to our house you know we're gonna have an iptar feast we're gonna break the fast you know you can meet my family and it's like okay i sure and <laughs> this is great and so but first Actually, this came at a time, actually, we felt, Stephanie and I were feeling very discouraged because we were feeling this, the task seemed so overwhelming. We didn't feel like there was a lot of responsiveness to the gospel. We didn't perceive that there was much hunger, and there was a sense of discouragement. And I remember sitting there in in the mall, right, in this Dairy Queen, and we're just enjoying our, you know, we're just, you know, to be honest with you, are just getting in, kind of feeling sorry for ourselves a little bit. Oh, here we are. Serving and not much is happening. Lord, why did you bring us here? What, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to go over to these, you know, our friend's house. We're not sure that what difference could it possibly make? And we were, you know, just having a pity party, if I'm being honest. Like, you know, just, okay, Lord, we'll go. And I remember as we were sitting there, there was this song in the middle of this remote Muslim region in China. And this as we're sitting there, this song comes over the radio. You know, they're, they're playing this song. We'd never heard this song before. I'd never heard this song before. This song by Jeremy Riddle called Furious. How many of you have ever heard this song? Right? Just, i i never heard it before, but it was exactly at this moment. I don't know if you remember this, Stephanie. And <clears throat> you know, we're in this dark place. We're feeling overwhelmed. We're feeling the oppression. We're feeling the, the, the weight of this situation. And so the lyrics um, basically go like this. Um, they, it says, Nothing can tear us from the grip of his mighty love. We've only glim- glimpsed his vast affection, heard whispers of his heart and passion. It's pouring out. His love is deep. His love is wide, and it covers us. His love is fierce. His love is strong, and it's furious. His love is sweet. His love is wild, and it's waking hearts tonight. In the middle of this place where this song should not have been. (laughs) And it was like we both looked at each other and we knew it It was like, yeah, God's speaking to us right now. And he's preparing us to realize, (laughs) you know, we may think it's hopeless. But God was showing us like, I am pursuing these people in the midst of this darkness. I am making a way. I am in pursuit with my love. And there was something that rose up within us and said, yes, God, if you are here, and you're not giving up, if you are pursuing people in the midst of this despair and lack of hope, God, we can join with you. It's not about us, right? It's about joining God because God was speaking to us and saying, I'm relentlessly pursuing these people. And I'm saying, do you want to come along with me as I'm pursuing them? So we took that, that as just a boost of encouragement, you know, from the Holy Spirit. We went to this dinner and we walked in. The family was getting ready. It was close to sundown. You know, the, Especially the, uh, the female fam- family members were busily getting ready. They were watching the clock because you can't start serving, serving food until when the sun goes down. You know, it has to be officially dusk. So we all sat down on the floor. There's a tablecloth spread out in front of us. And an imam comes in. The imam begins to pray. People are praying in, in their Muslim way. And so we're sitting there as well. And as we usually do when this happens, we also pray in the spirit. We're praying for the people. We're praying that God would break in. We're praying that God would reveal himself to hungry hearts. We're praying in the spirit that somehow God would meet them as they are pursuing him in the only way they know how. So it was such a privilege in that moment just to join in that simple setting of hospitality, to just come over to our house. And we were just there. And I'd like to say that we preached the gospel and we started a house church and people got saved. That didn't happen then. (laughs) But guess what? I think we underestimate. I know that we underestimate how much we, we, we limit God just by not showing up. If we just show up and say, God, can you move? Will you move as I pray? Will you move as, as, as we believe that you will move in, in, in this household, in this family? And pray, pray blessings. Pray that God would continue to draw them to himself. And we believe that, that God answers those prayers, Right? Because that's what God wants. So missions, it's not only seeing that there are masses of people in pursuit of hope. It's a hope that's only found in Jesus. It's also a recognition that God himself is in pursuit of them. How many of you have seen the Narnia movies? Right? You've seen them? You know, Aslan in Narnia. The phrase that was repeated, especially in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. You know, what was the phrase that was repeated over and over again? Aslan is on the move, right? Aslan is on the move. Things are dark, things are dreary, but Aslan is on the move. So God is in pursuit, and what's more, he is pursuing you to join with him in his pursuit. Um, So let's go to the next slide here. So as Jesus followers, we're being pursued by God to join him. The greatest ability we can offer, it's not your academic ability, it's not your musical ability, it's not your whatever ability you can name, right? As wonderful as those things are and that God gave you those abilities, your greatest ability is your availability. That you would avail yourself to him and say, Lord, I'm available. I will avail myself to you. That is your greatest ability that God is looking for. That you would just avail yourself to him. You know that the verse that was also on the slide this morning, Isaiah 6, 8, now, after Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord in his temple and he hears the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us, then I said, here I am, send me. Can everybody say that? Here I am, send me. What other response can we give, right? What other response is there when we see how, how earnestly God is pursuing the lost? Except, here I am, send me, Lord. So I want to talk to you about just a few, a few different uh, ways that we can uh, join God, be, prepare ourselves to join Him in His great pursuit as He is pursuing us. So the first one is, number one, as we join, we simplify our focus. Just simplify our focus. Um, I love, I remember years ago, there was, uh, the, the, at the time, I'm not sure if he's still the director of YWAM, uh john dawson i think his name is he came and was a speaker here and i remember him saying this i'll never forget it in his kiwi way new zealand way i think he's from new zealand <laughs> he said just get him behind jesus <laughs> and i'll never forget that that stuck with me you know and so so often we can get fixated and we get concerned lord where are you sending me how is this going to work out are you sending me to the mission field are you sending me here are you keeping me here what am i you know and we forget the simplicity of just getting behind jesus <laughs> Just follow me. Let's it. It's got to start there, and it's got to continue there, right? Because we're not doing this in our in our of our own strength. Uh, Jesus said uh, to when he calls the disciples, he says in Matthew four nineteen, he says, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Jesus calls, and then he prepares and forms us for mission, right? So first Jesus invites, "Come follow me." Zach, come on, follow me. I'll, don't worry. I'll prepare you. I'll form you. I'll put everything I need to put inside of you. I'll prepare you to make sure that you're equipped and fully equipped to do exactly what I'm calling you to do. But just follow me. That's all I'm asking you to do. Isn't that comforting? That Jesus says, I just want you to follow me. Let's start there. Let's not get worried about all all these other things and all these other questions. Simplify our focus. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 the Apostle Paul had this same focus. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already made perfect, but I press on. Everybody say, press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, right? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. We are pressing on to follow him and to know him. That is the key. We need to simplify our focus. So not only that, but we need to let God bother us. How many of you have ever been bothered by God? Has God bothered you? How many of you did God have to bother you to get you here to come to Elam? You can be honest, okay? God had to bother you a little bit, right? Brother Harry's (laughs) waving. Right? He had to wreck your plants. He kind of had to disturb you. You know, I love this story. You know, in Nehemiah chapter 1 where you know the the words of Nehemiah the son of Hacaliah it says that it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year I was in Susa in the citadel then Han and I one of my brothers he comes with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem and they said to me the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. God gave Nehemiah a special burden. It bothered him in a way that didn't bother other people. Why? Because God was calling Nehemiah to this mission of restoring the honor, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, right? Pay attention to what bothers you when you see things going on in the world, and you wonder, why isn't everybody else concerned about this? That's probably a good indication that God has given you this this particular burden, right? If you're asking the question, why isn't everybody and their uncle and aunts and cousins doing this, that's an indication that God is trying to signal something in you, of where he's leading you, of what might be ahead for you as you join in God in his pursuit, with God in his pursuit. Robert Moffitt, who was the father-in-law of David Livingston, how many of you have ever heard of David Livingston? Right? Explorer missionary to, to Africa. Right, his father-in-law said, you know, he was there in South Africa and he he wrote these words and when he came back and he was sharing about trying to mobilize people to, to go to reach the unreached. In, in Africa, he said, in the vast plain to the north, I have seen sometime, sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. It bothered him. He said, I'm not content to stay here on the coast. Lord, give us, send more missionaries to go into the inner, into reach these villages where all this, the smoke from these thousand villages is, represents people who are dying for lack of hope. So he was bothered by this. I remember as a student, I was sitting. Probably right there. You've heard that. I don't know. Every guest speaker who comes in here says, "I was sitting right there. I was sitting right there." Right. I think I was sitting right there in the second to last row. And every once in a while, they would pass out these. Um, I may have shared this story again before, um, but th- these church around the world bulletins. How many of you ever remember those? They that slip in your Bible. And I remember being stirred. My eyes. It was like a spotlight was drawn. This was like around 1993. I read that there were only four known Kazakh believers and only one missionary that could speak the language. And God brought me to a place where just paying attention to that simple piece of information, it wrecked me. And God set, us on, set me on a course and eventually us on a course that would cause us to end up spending 16 years reaching a related unreached people group in the same region. But it bothered me. I was like, how could this be that there are no missionaries reaching this people? So we simplify our focus. We just get in behind Jesus. We let God bother us. And then third, we, you let God prepare you, right? Let God prepare you. God will give you a burden. He will give you a glimpse of, of, of a call, maybe a people, maybe a place, but there's a, there are seasons of preparation, and that's why you're here at Elam. Don't short-circuit your time here at Elam. Your training it is so valuable. But God has so much more to impart into you and to develop you and to train you. And so don't short-circuit your preparation. I think of Moses, right? It, it says that when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. It says in Acts chapter 7, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And we know how that story goes, right? He's thinking, oh, okay, I'm prepared to do this. I'm, I was, you know, everybody knows who I am. I have this status and I can... I can deliver my people. And how'd that work for him? No. Moses had to learn some humility, didn't he? <laughs> so where did God send him? <laughs> to the desert, you go. <laughs> for 40 years, he had he had to reside as a foreigner in the wilderness. And he had to learn humility to the point where eventually he would become the humblest man who ever lived. As the Bible says, he had to learn that. God had to teach him that before he could use him. So just like... God had to prepare Moses for his mission. He's preparing you even here at Elam. And then fourth, let God position you. Let God position you. You know, we have a way of thinking that we can figure out where we best fit. God, I think you could use, I think I have this talent. I think I have these abilities. I think I could be of use for you here. I think I could do a good job over here. But I think, I I know for a fact we think way too small. (laughs) God sees what we think, how we could be useful in his harvest, but God sees a bigger, better picture. We have to let God position us. I love how, um, you know, the the story in Acts chapter 10, you know, Peter and Cornelius, you know, God had done already 90% of the work. He had already been working on Cornelius's heart, right? And it was drawing Cornelius to himself, And he could have finished, closed the deal, right? But instead he said, wait, he puts pause and he goes and gets Peter. He prepares Peter. Peter, he had already had, he was working on Peter. He had to work on Peter's, he was still dealing with nationalism and racism and not wanting to mess with those Gentiles. And so God had to work on Peter's heart. He had to prepare him. And so finally he brings Peter to Cornelius. And we know the story, right? So Peter's sharing the gospel with Cornelius and he barely gets the gospel out and boom the Holy Spirit takes over it's like you know taking my kids fishing right he you know I take my kids fishing when they're little and I set the hook I catch the fish and I hand the reel over to the you know to my kids and it's like okay now you can reel it in right and that's what it is when we work with God he prepares us to say okay now you get to work with me I'm gonna I'm gonna do the heavy lifting and you just get the partner with me as I'm doing this it's a joy that is what it, what it means to let God position us. And then finally, uh, the fifth one, the final point is surrender our excuses. We need to surrender our excuses. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. After Jesus called Simon and Andrew, did they say, well, let me think about it? Let me go talk to mom and dad. Let me work this out. Let me do some pros and cons. Make a list. Is it more beneficial to to obey or more beneficial to do? no? It says they dropped their nets immediately. Their vocation, everything. They dropped their nets, and immediately they followed him. We see the same thing with Moses. When God called Moses, boy, did he have some excuses. God, I can, I'm going to give you this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason why you shouldn't use me, and you should probably choose someone else. But God stuck with Moses. He pursued Moses. He didn't let him go. He said, no, I want to use you. Forget about those excuses. There, there, you could have 999 excuses for why God shouldn't choose you, God shouldn't call you, but there's only one reason that you should say yes, and that's because he's called you. And that's because he's invited you. That's the only thing that matters. I just want to close with this example. Uh, and with uh, How many of you have ever heard of Gladys Aylward, missionary to China, right? It's an amazing, amazing woman. She was a missionary to China. She spent from 1930 to 1970, went to China, died in China. No one would send her. They'd said that you're not prepared. You're not, you don't have what it takes. You'll fail. You'll struggle. You don't understand. You know, there's no place for you. You should probably just stay here she persisted. She just decided to get on a train and cross from Europe and make her way herself across Russia, across Siberia during wartime to get to China because she knew that God was calling her. She had no idea who she would even meet when she got there. God used her powerfully, powerfully. She says this, and and when, when she was first struggling with her call, she was thinking, oh, God, you know, surely she was seeing the need of China. And she said, God, who's, we need missionaries to go to China. She kept this, she couldn't get, it, was, it bothered her. And she, would, she kept going to people that she thought were professionally trained, seminary, seminarians. And you should go to China. Have you thought about giving your life to China? And they would all say, well, they had a reason why they, they, you know, they're too experienced. They have too much to offer here. They shouldn't go to China. So finally, one day she goes to her brother She's trying to convince her brother because she figures, God, it should be a man, right? can't be a woman. It should be a man. So she goes to her brother, you should go to China. You should go to China. And her brother finally, you know, just exasperated and says, you know, Gladys, if you feel so strongly that China should be reached, why don't you go yourself? And it stuck with her. And then she made a vow. She said, first, Lord, if you'll open the way, if you'll prepare the way, if you'll make the provision I promise that I will never doubt you again. And the second thing she said was, I will never again ask anyone to do something that you are asking me, the person Gladys Aylward, to do. If God is pricking your heart for something, for a people, for a nation, yes, we pray for laborers, but don't don't discount that God could be calling you to fill that need, to go to that people, to go to that nation. Um, We need to, like the disciples, be willing to let down our nets, let down our excuses. There's only one reason. If God has called us, he will equip us and he will prepare us. He will position us in the right time, in the right place to do what he's called us to do, to join him in his great pursuit. You see, the, the beautiful thing about missions is God isn't calling you to go and just do good things for him, just do some activities for him. He's calling you to join with him. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, I'm going here. And when Jesus sent his disciples out in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he said he sent them out to every place where he himself intended to go. When God begins to put places on your heart and people on your heart, divine appointment, he's already setting those up. He's already planning it. There are people on the other side of your yes. There are people on the other side of your obedience, of just your simple decision of keeping it simple. I don't have all the details, Lord. I don't have the... Uh, how this is all going to work out. But Lord, I'm going to start with, I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to keep you in front of me. I'm going to trust you because you've laid down your life for me. And I believe that you love them more than I could possibly love these people, that you love me more than I can possibly imagine. So let's just close in prayer, if you will. Let's stand. Ah, Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much that you invite us to be a part of your great pursuit. To win the lost for you. Lord, to see the nations gathered before your throne, crying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. I thank you that you invite us to come along in this pursuit. That you pursue us. That even when we think that we're not worthy, even when we think that you couldn't possibly use us, that we're not this enough, we're not that enough... You look and you pursue us and you, you, you want to prepare our hearts. You want to prepare us to be used by you. I pray for every single person in this room. God, I pray that this week that you would bother us. That we, we just give you permission right now that you would bother us this week. We allow you to discontent us, to cause us to be uncomfortable. Lord, so that we can see this great plan that you have to reach the lost and the hurting and to show them Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Lord, you are faithful. You are good. And we just are looking forward this week to everything that you are going to do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.